You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Pacers podcast. My name is Adam Friedman. As always, I'm on the coast of this wonderful podcast. And on today's podcast, we are going to break down DeMontis Sabonis's 2020-2021 season. We're going to talk about what comes next for him, the good and bad moments, and what strength and weaknesses it brings to this team. But first, we're going to start with one word that describes his season. And to me, that's, that word is alluring. Sabonis clearly made another leap this season. He's basically improved every year he's been in the league. Starts with that first Oklahoma City where he was played out of position, which you could say happened again this year, frankly. Um, but then came to the Pacers, became kind of like a surprisingly reliable backup center to a like definitely reliable backup center in his, in his, in his third season overall and second with the Pacers to starting 4-5 in 2019-20 where he made an all-star game. Um, I guess starting center, whatever it was, he had a really great season, was putting up a ton of points for them. Uh, and was probably the best player on a team that was like a top five seed when they also voted came out in 2019-20. Then 2021, this last season, he obviously was an all-star again, kind of dragged this team, uh, at least the all-star break, to a four seed. Obviously, they did not make the playoffs, but he was a huge part of it, and they were even able to stay afloat. Um, his on-off stats, I know, are not like great. He ends up he ended up with a minus, I believe, one point, a minus 1.9 uh Rating on the court, according to uh, NBA stats, so 109 offense and 111 on defense. Roughly, which actually uh, puts him below the previous center, Miles Turner, who joined his, pre- his season review on yesterday. But I think you have to factor in the fact that Sabonis played 36 minutes a night. Um, most of the time, most of the season was without Vic and Karras for you know 30-plus games, let's call it. Um, that spot without Warren for 60 plus games. And then most other nights probably was missing one of Brogdon or one of Turner and was really having to kind of drag this team around. Um, and when you look at it, his, the Pacers, I believe finished the season with basically like a flat net rating uh, or very close to it. I'm trying to pull that up. So he clearly was like slightly worse than the team as a whole, but that would make sense if you think about it because he's playing so many minutes and there were, and there were, you know, he wasn't getting the bench minutes he was getting in the past, right? You look at the biggest difference between his 2020, 2021 season and 2019-20 is his ability not his ability to not be able to play with both holidays, McDermott, McConnell against bench units. So in 2019-20, uh, his second most played minutes was with that core lineup. He played 237 minutes. They had a had a net rating of 7.2. Um, that was actually not even as good as as the Pacers kind of starting five with Lamb instead of instead of Oladipo net net rating, but they were able that lineup was able to feast over and over and over again that bench lineup on benches and really helped carry the Pacers in that season. And this season, instead of those being a bench lineup, those ended up being starting lineup time, right? So so his one you know a similar lineup to that if you look at it is Holiday, McDermott, Turner, Sabonis, Brogdon. That was kind of the starting five, but those two of those guys obviously played play with him on the bench. Um, but I think like the close line you get because you didn't get a lot of a lot of Aaron Holiday this year. Although I guess if you look at the like Holiday, McDermott, McConnell, Sabonis, Aaron Holiday once the similar one to last season. This season they ended up playing fifty three minutes together and were a, a negative nine point six. I mean, because they were playing against starting fives and not backup fives, and that, that's the big thing that kind of dragged him down, which is the fact that he was stuck playing so many minutes with bench players against starting lineups, and the team just wasn't didn't have the depth depth this season, and he. 
was probably like one of the lone bright spots this season. Him or, him or Brogdon or Turner's defense were kind of the those things, and maybe some of uh, Levert towards towards the end of the season. But the reason I would call Sabonis' season alluring at the same time is because if you look at his look at his raw stats, they kind of mirror Jokic two seasons ago. So Jokic two seasons ago, really for two straight years, Jokic put up about twenty points a game, uh, averaged about ten rebounds per game, and averaged about seven assists per game. So he did that for. Uh, Jokic did in 2018-19 and 2019-20. Then Jokic made this leap last season, obviously the MVP level, where he put up 26.4 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. Also, uh, Jokic improved his three-point percentage by about 7 points to go from a 32 to a 39, and that led to him going from a 53% to a 56% shooter. So um, Jokic made definitely this like kind of like, what you see a lot is when guys become superstars. It's like superstar leap. Then he had, Jokic had the benefit he played the full season. The, some of the... the the no-brainer MVP candidates did not. They got hurt, and that led him to become MVP. Not saying Sabonis is close to being an MVP, but the way he's been improving, you could make a real case that he do, that he could leap to a like closer to Jokic, Jokic level than than I think he is right now. So Sabonis' biggest like improvement last season was in two areas. It was his ability to pass the ball. Right, he improved his his assists because he kind of became a point center. Um, and he, they're playing more five out with him as the point center. It went from five assists to six point seven assists, which is which is a pretty significant jump. Um, it's what like a, I think it ends up being like a, like a twenty eight percent jump, something like that. So a pretty a pretty impressive, or thirty percent jump, whatever it is a pretty impressive jump for him him there. Um, but also it was on three point percentage, right? So he shot about seventy total threes two seasons ago. Last year he shot one hundred and sixty two. He shot thirty two percent on those threes versus twenty five the year before. I think that three points percentage will just continue to go up. I'm not sure he'll end up taking more attempts. So Jokic last season took 3.3 attempts. I would be surprised if Sabonis passes three. I think that kind of two and a half range is right. But you can see that number go from 32 to 35 next season would be an improvement, obviously, and that would be that would help him maybe go from 20 to 22 points a game. I don't think you'll see him take a few more shots. Then with the Pacers last year, is he took about Sabonis took about 15 shots per game. Jokic, for example, took 18 shots per game last season. Pretty he did take 15. Um, some of that Jokic was because obviously Murray got hurt, um, but they started to build that team around him, and that's what the Pacers I think are going to have to do with Sabonis. Is they have to figure out do they want to build around Sabonis? Is Sabonis their core guy, their superstar that they think they can build around that can lead them to the promised land? Right? And there's a pretty good case you can make that Sabonis could be that player because he can play point center. You just got to get him with four shooters, really good shooters around him, and then he'll get slightly better at the three point shot combined, and you'll have like a really good shooting lineup. Just because Turner wasn't that good at three point shooter. Um, in the in the cast of you know misfit toys they were throwing out there at two and three when they didn't you know between you know you had Aaron Holiday starting games at times you had Jeremy Lamb starting games or playing significant minutes like when you start filtering some of that out and start getting some more consistent lineups where Justin Holiday and Durant are the bench unit which is a very solid bench unit but there's not meant to be starters and you get Warren and Levert I think you will start to see some bonus um, just percentages improve slightly going back to what I think is like. I think you know he should probably be like fifty-five percent field goal percentage and about thirty-five percent from three. And if he's at that point, he's probably looking at like twenty-one or twenty-two points per game. Obviously, Sabonis could improve his turnovers. His turnovers are not that far from Jokic. Jokic was three point one turnovers the last three seasons. Sabonis was three point four this season. Um, obviously, Jokic is able to improve his assists, so the assist to turnover ratio is better. Jokic is about two and a half, two point six, uh, where Sabonis is more like two. <laughs> Which you want to be probably like, like I said, between two and a half and three. That that ratio to be considered like a, a good enough point guard, um, or like guy that can have the ball in his hands. Um, at this rate, it's still a little too high. It means basically in every ten possessions, he's turning it over, over about three and a half times. Um, 
that he's like kind of controlling the ball, I guess, which is not like great. You that probably should be more like seven or eight, probably even like around the eight, the the eight number. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he can improve just like slightly on some of these areas and then get a little better around him, I do think he's in for another leap. Um, the other thing will have to come is can he play a more relaxing defensive role? Not as the four chasing out perimeter guys running around. I think at one point he led the league in most miles traveled because he was playing point guard on one end at times and also having to basically like guard fours constantly. You can get him in the more traditional center role that would like you know, lessen the load on him and make him more efficient in offense. I mean, these are all things I think that contribute to why he this season he did not have his great on off percentage because he just was like probably being overtaxed and he was he was still putting up numbers but maybe not efficiently and i think if you can build a better environment around him he can become more efficient and i do think he has the ability to do that now we'll talk about his future in about two segments so i won't get a too ahead of myself but i think you can kind of see the case i'm making is sabonis is probably the pacers best shot at having a superstar going forward an all-nba type player he ended up i think getting a few votes finishing i think fifth or sixth in the nba center votes he is their best chance at that um, and you can, you know, he's only 24 years old. Literally each season, look at look at his numbers. He gets better and better and better. Um, and so if he can keep doing that and building that for two more seasons, he should be at like a 20, let's say 24 point a game score. And that's when you start to cross from this level of like good player to elite player. Now I know people are scoring more than ever in the league. So that's maybe the 20, like for me, it used to be like, if you could score 25 to 24, 20 points a game, I thought that's like the next level for players. Maybe it's closer to 26 now, just because of the high flying you know, high pace, high scoring M- NBA, but still, the Pacers haven't had a guy who scored 25 points, I think, since Danny Granger. Uh, Paul George never did it. He got to like 23 at a max. Pitcher is absolutely old. He got out to 23, I think, or 22 something. But 25 is where you start to cross that line from being like a really good All Star offensive player to like elite level offensive player. Um, especially if you're on a, every 25 points a game and your team is winning games. Now, if you're ever talking about this game, your team is losing a ton of games, and then you start to end up in that weird, like, good stats, bad team guy. But I think Sabonis has that potential. Um, I like this this season from him. Like I said, I think it was an alluring season. It, it was tantalizing, maybe even is a better, is a, is a better word. They should use that word because it makes you think this guy can be this something next year. It's just can they get the right system around him. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break, and then I want to do some of his highs and lows in the season and some of the things I um, – like certain moments, I like this mo- so much from this season. But first, today's Locked On Pacers podcast is brought to you by Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for the sports fan. The app is free to download it once a year, and you can talk with all kinds of fans, podcast hosts like me, athletes, insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. We unlocked on Pacers host locker rooms once a week. Tony is doing his tomorrow. I usually do mine on the weekends. Last on Sunday, we did a locker room where we talked about Pacers next head coaches. Just kind of, uh, let's call it shooting the shit shit about it, frankly. And locker room is the perfect place to join the conversation about the league. You'll find people just like you, fans who are inserted in their teams. We want to do watch parties, whether it's for debates, post games, whatever it is. That are to the biggest news. Locker room is the place to go to have those chats. You can join us once a week. You can find out on our, on our Twitter page at Locked On Pacers when we're having those. So go to the uh, app store today that's on, on all iOS devices and download the Locker Room app. And be sure to create a profile link to your Twitter. Pick the leagues you want so they know to tell you to be notified when a room goes live for those certain leagues. Because Locker Room is one of the best, I think, ways to kind of have a live conversation um, versus just like 
a podcast. It's like you part of the conversation. You get to talk about your team, and so it's great. So we'll see you on Locker Room when we do our Locker Rooms. Locker Room is changing the way we talk about sports. And we're back. So Sabonis' season certainly had some... Uh, some thrilling moments. I think you could even start for the season where he comes out and has 32 points against the Knicks that uh, I think would end up being one of his highest scoring average of the season. Um, but he had some really, really nice nights. I mean, he had some offensive nights where you're just like blown away from him. I mean, he, you know, a hallmark of a bonus before, the, really he became a starter was that he could have these random like, what, he would go like 12 of 13 and have 25 points to be the most efficient you'd ever see him. I mean, he had some of those. He had like a 10 of 14 game against Cleveland. But for me, I mean, his probably most exciting top moment this season was that overtime game against Minnesota. We ended up scoring 36 points, put up a triple-double, and that started kind of a run for him where he really had probably from, so that was like a late, that was like a late February game, late February until basically uh, he, when he got hurt uh, and missed three games in April. He was a borderline triple-double machine. For a 19-game span... That goes from uh, that late February to, to basically April 2nd. Uh, he has ends up putting up five triple-doubles in that range. And he comes pretty close, I think, um, one or two other times. Yeah, he has an eight-assist one. He got a couple nine-assists and nine-rebound games in there as well. He was really good. This is probably, this is kind of the, his best of the season. This is right when uh, you get a little bit of Karras back towards the end of this run. And that helps him as well. And it's where he's starting to get some encouragement that maybe this Pacers team is heading in a direction. You know, I think... Uh, during the season, that, that beginning April was going to be critical for this team. Then he got hurt, and that kind of threw them off. But he was really good this season. I mean, he he was he put up enough triple doubles where it was like, at what point do we consider this guy like, uh, not I mean, on the elite level, but like a top level passer, right? I, I think there's always there have been signs of it. We saw in 2019, 20, where he had like he had a little bit of a run there, um, where he had like four or five triple doubles. But this season, he really made that kind of next next jump. I think. I think he finished the season with something like 12 or 13 triple doubles, which is which was it's just kind of insane thing from a center. Um, and so the thing I liked the most, I think, from him this season was I is you finally saw him um, start to take efficient shots. So with with McMillan, it was always take the open shot, which is a which has its has its merits considering how he's been able to coach the Hawks this year and exactly the paces were, but. Under Bjorkren, Sabonis um, became a lot more feast around the rim, three-point shooting player, and not like this, this kind of like mid-range shooter that he was. And he wasn't like a super efficient mid-range shooter in general. If you look back in his career, I mean, he was okay. Um, but I think it felt like he made it a lot more than he actually did, right? So if you look at like his previous two seasons, he shot 34% from 10 to 16 feet. Um, last season, for example, from 3 to 10, he shot 39%. Um, but he was taking something like a quarter of his shots from the from those areas, maybe twenty five percent. Yeah, between those two areas, he take about twenty five. This year, it went down slightly. Instead, he, he upped his three point percentage shooting by a ton. Um, he took almost eighteen ten of his shots from three. Um, but then he was shooting a much higher rate around three feet, shooting really back to one of his peaks, shooting around seventy five percent around the rim, um, which is really nice. Which I thought was really nice from this season. He he also, I think at least because he had to work through it. Um, wasn't a great defender, but seemed like he was improving on the on his perimeter defensive skills at times. Obviously, he was still kind of a fouling machine, and that's where he probably has to improve something. 
or the most, right? He actually averages most fouls per game this season. But I think, like I said, if you throw him in a more traditional center role, I do wonder if he would maybe regress back to this point where he is not um, not fouling much because he doesn't have to you know, guard fours all the time. But I think the passing is where he, he also um, just made an improvement. He just, like, he sees the floor better this year. I think it was just something where you just, when you have that, that the ball in your hands more, you make uh, better decisions. You, get, you kind of, like, work through it. I think him bringing up the ball from the from the from rebounds kind of coast to coast was a very interesting thing. I think they didn't do it enough at times, it felt like. Or, you know, I think it would be interesting is if instead of just, like, pushing the pace with the bonus that they were doing, is if you just let him be the ball handler. Because, um, like, if you watch, like, the Nuggets, they'll, they'll – so the, I think what Bjorken wanted was he wanted Spillman to be somewhere between like a Draymond and a Jokic, where like Draymond's skill set for a while was he could take the rebound and go coast to coast and get the offense initiated fast for Golden State. And Golden State was so good when the teams were in a scramble, they get you know Steph open or Clay open, make this great three, and that's why it works so well. They just don't quite have the shooters to do that. Where Jokic is like kind of like just brings the ball up slowly and methodically and kind of picks apart your defense. Um, and they try to kind of get Spillman somewhere in the middle where occasionally he picked up the pace like Draymond, or at times he kind of was just like. They just hand the ball to half of the key like they would with a Jokic. I think he actually would do better in the in the latter instead of the former um, because I do think he sees the floor okay, and I don't. The Pacers just didn't have good enough shooters around him last year to be able to do that. Now maybe this season, season next next season they will. I think when he plays the bench unit, it works. He can push a little better, especially because of that bench unit you can catch him off guard with the McDermott's and, and the Holidays more than you can starters. So maybe that's where you do it more. But I think with the starters, he's better off just methodically kind of having the offense run through him a little bit more and him to just pick apart defenses, you know, use pick and rolls with him and with him and, and uh, Brogdon and give him the ball on the on switches if you need to, whatever it is, but like using the bonus in, in those actions. I mean, I think they also, for some reason, went away from some Sabonis being in the action as much as he was the previous season. I think that also hurt them a little bit. You know, not like he wasn't in the action. Um, on a lot of plays, but you know, if you watch the Pacers team season ago, it was over and over against the bonus within every single, whether it was, he had the ball in his hands or whether it was triple handoffs or whether it was just, um, pick and rolls. It was con- or whether it was off ball picks, whatever it was, Sabonis was constantly in the action over and over again. They tried to, I think, play a little more ice ball. And some of it was, they just didn't have the personnel. And Sabonis was also like being just dragged around on the defensive end that they couldn't quite do it the, the same way. But, um, I think that's to me is where, where he can kind of where they can kind of like improve on him and make him better is just like value his ability to move and his mileage in ways that makes it a more efficient instead of just like wasting it on on the defensive end because I, I can't say this enough it's like he really should just be playing traditional five on center and even though he's not a great rim protector he's good enough and I think if you let him do it first season you get you get better and better and I don't, I don't know necessarily need if, unless I know if you need that like traditional rim protector the way like we think about it i think you can get away if he's so good on offense with not having that i mean look at the nuggets this season i know we keep drawing the parallels but the, but the nuggets if jamal murray doesn't get hurt maybe don't win the second round against the suns because the suns are on fire but are like close they're close to winning a championship or being in being a championship competing team this year they really weren't those were because of the murray injury but like they're close and that's because they surround Jokic with the right talent and they've got good players and Jokic can really on the offense, carry the team so far that it doesn't need to be this amazing defender because this offense is so freaking good. And that's how the Pacers are going to have to, you know, be successful in the future is Simone has to be that good offensively that he can be an, a mediocre defender, but it doesn't really matter because of because of that that offense. Um, 
and so that kind of bleeds into what I want to talk about next, and that's his that's his future on this team and how they how I view he should be on this team going forward. So let's talk about the next, but first, we are also brought to you by our wonderful friends over at Built Bar. We're talking about Built Bar for a long time on this podcast. They make these nine delicious protein bars and the occasional limited time flavors. They come in all kinds of uh, different limited time flavors. My favorite one, though, is uh, of the original nine. It's the peanut butter brownie one. These are great if you're trying to indulge in delicious treats. Somebody's trying to maintain or lose weight. I personally like these things. as like kind of a mid-afternoon snack, right? You get to that like three to four hour. You don't really want to eat a full meal again, obviously, but you also don't really want to just like snack on something that doesn't fill you up. And these protein bars are great for that. They kind of give you the nice little like energy to finish out your work day. At least in my in my opinion, they do. And they come uh, in a great kind of calories, only 180 calories, they have 18 grams of protein. So if you got that morning workout in, that helps you build on that as well. And right now, I've got a builtbar.com. Use promo code LOCKED15. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. You get 15% off your next order at builtbar.com. Lock 15, 15% off your order at builtbar.com. And we are also brought to you by betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. We are in the heart of the baseball season, the middle of the NBA playoffs, the middle of the NHL playoffs, and betonline.ag is the best place to go to track all the action on those games, get the latest news and odds and info for all your major four sports, as well as the UFC and MMA. So before the next pitch, before the next shot, before the next layup, whatever it is, go to BetOnline.ag on your laptop and device and check out all those all those sporting news, all the sign-up bonuses, all the contest information. Because if you head over to the website today, use my code locked on. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. You get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So don't sell the silence anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their playoff runs. BetOnline.ag, your online sports book experts. And we are back. Do I think Demonis Sabonis will be on the Pacers next season? I do. I do think he will be the choice. Ultimately, when it comes down to a decision-making by the front office, I think it's long overdue that the front office makes a choice. I think you're limiting the ceiling of both players in some ways, and I think you're hurting the team's ability to develop. I think playing the two of them together, they are adequate, but they aren't good enough together. To make it to justify it, I think we've seen whether it's even just playing someone like O'Shea at the four, the value of that, and I think there's eighteen million dollars you can spend on somebody else. Frankly, whether whether it's a starter, whether it's breaking it to spend on two bench players, whatever it is, that eighteen million dollars can be put to better use. That's what both centers make, um, and I think Sabonis probably is the choice to stay, and it's, it's a pretty simple choice. It's he has he has a potential to be an All NBA player. Um, I think Turner is a great player. I think Turner, and we'll break this down more in tomorrow's episode, um, just kind of break down the pairing. I think in any other instance, you'd want him. Um, he's a, basically a stretch five. He can shoot a little better from three. He's a phenomenal defensive player. Um, but I think you've got a player in Sabonis who has a real potential to be a 25-point-a-game guy. Those are rare in this league. They're harder to find, I think, than rim protectors, and they're way more valuable than rim protectors, ultimately. It's, you know... We've seen teams have to make this choice, and they've a lot, teams have obviously made it faster. If you go back, right, you look at a team. I mean, there's two examples right off the bat. You look at you look at Denver. They trade away Nurkic because they had Jokic, and they determined Jokic was going to be a star or thought it could be, so they got rid of Nurkic to let Jokic develop. You go uh, to Utah. They had Enos, Kanter, and Gobert. They wrote they had Gobert right away and said, Kanter, you're gone. We're going to develop Kanter. We're gonna not kind of we're gonna develop Go Gobert into the player he is. You know, it worked out for both those teams. They were both Eastern Conference semifinalists. While the two teams that uh, got those two players, ultimately Oklahoma City, I think got ended up with Canner and I believe uh, 
obviously Nurkic is in Portland, did not make it past the first round of the playoffs or even made the playoffs. Oklahoma City is also in a whole different circumstance. But even with Canner, I don't think they ever really had a sh- made out of the first round of the playoffs. I doubt they did. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's it's a choice you have to make, and I think it will be worth it. I think if you put four shooters around Sabonis, you let him be a little bit more of the point, point center, um, you limited the amount he has to run on the defensive end and let him really maximize his talent on the offensive end. And he'll be just a more efficient offensive player. I think you'll see his turnovers go down a little bit because he'll be less exhausted. I think you'll see the offensive efficiency numbers go up because he'll be able to be part of more plays, more off balls, take more hits, and he'll be able to probably stay healthier. Right? He missed 10 games season, which is not insignificant. That ends up being a seventh of the season, roughly. Um, he's going to need to play 70-something-plus game for pitchers to be good next year. He ended up playing... So he played, he played 62 this season, 62 last season. But that's because he missed all eight bubble games. Then played 74 and 74. So he's already missing usually probably eight to ten games a season on average, which is fine. But if he, you know the way he missed games this year, I guess he'd be on pace theoretically to miss, I don't know, 12. He probably would end up playing like 70 games, which is not like terrible. But um, you need him to play more like 75 to really have a shot. And we saw in the playoffs two years ago, I mean, with – we saw that what life looks like with like one center, right? It opens up the floor for guys like TJ Warren to shoot more threes because there's, there just is more space. And if he can hit, you know, and open up the floor for all kinds of other players offensively. Um, and then if you have a real true offensive center, center at the five, it helps kind of make things, um, you know, like I think if Sabonis was healthy two playoffs ago, instead of Turner, there's, there's a good chance the team wins at least two playoffs. If not, they win that series. But there's just, there's more to counter. I think there's more you can run, right? They were basically running figure eight offenses between Warren and uh, Brogdon and Victor Oladipo years ago. And that, like, that's, that's like the most they could do. I'm not even sure else they could have done. But with Sabonis out there, he just creates more of a counter. You can, you can put him into the action to create more plays. You can give the ball to him at times as, as a counter mission to some things. I mean, that was, the, that was kind of the antidote I, three or four seasons ago to the Vic double teams was that you just let Sabonis... You put Sabonis in in the pick and then have Vic hand the ball to him and let Sabonis have four on three and figure it out. And, if, you know, in 2017-18, Sabonis was not even near the pasture that he was this past two seasons. So I think Sabonis um, ultimately is the answer for the team, What you know, in their chance to develop and chance to grow. To me, right, Bjorkeren probably biggest mistake was saying he was okay with two centers. I think that's going to be the toughest choice when it comes to the next coaches. Doesn't this coach have enough credibility to be like, no, you got to pick one? And trade the other one. I think Yorker in one of the job, one of the Pacers' job desperately. I think that's pretty obvious that he really wanted to be a head coach and wanted the Pacers' job, and he was willing to probably say whatever he could to get the job. And I think he said he wanted he could play both centers. And I just think the front office looking for that for that answer was the wrong answer. Obviously, they needed to look for somebody who could critically look at the team and say this is where you need to improve. Because I think McMillan's biggest flaw was that he couldn't win 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 a playoff series, um, and that's fair. But they good regular season success under him and he had managed to make the two centers kind of work but he was still always hesitant to end the game with two centers in 2020 he barely ended the game with Turner ever where Bjorkman just steered into it and thought he could but they just he just couldn't I mean the NBA is just not built that way right now um, to play two bigger guys it's there's too many fast guards out there too many teams playing just like shooting a ton of threes and would you know basically run a guy like Sabonis ragged because he has to chase all these shooters it's just it's it, a pain for him especially it'd be totally different if Sabonis wasn't the offensive player he is but he's such a good offensive player you have to figure out how to limit his defensive um like drain so that he can improve so he can be better because that's you know so that he can can grow off offensively you see that with all like LeBron is right LeBron 
doesn't try it even because he knows he needs to extend himself on offense to help his team win. You see that with all these best players, even like somebody like Steph, or like Dame Lillard, is teams try to minimize their defensive weaknesses by putting them on the other team's worst player, not letting them have to, have to move around a ton so they can maximize on the offensive end. And that's what Bishop do for Sabonis to be able to make this team at least better next season. So we'll see if what they choose. I think they'll choose Sabonis. I think they should. I think it's it's unfortunately, like I said, it's just it's not a no brainer choice, but it's it's probably the right choice. He is he has the potential, I think, to be um, a phenomenal player. And I think at some point too, Sabonis is going to want out if he's not going to be the only center because he's going to realize if he he could be on a team where he's the only center, he could probably at least develop them into like a pretty solid team where he could have like really good stats. Maybe he wouldn't be a successful. I think. This pace of roster is pretty decent when it's healthy. I'm not sure if he got traded somewhere else, he'd have good of a roster, but he could probably be a 27-point-a-game guy on a pretty crappy team. And maybe with a good pace, he can put up 24 points a game, which is still, like I said, if you're putting up 24 points and your team is winning games and being a top-five seed, you're an elite-level player. And um, that's what most wants to be. I think that's what he kind of can be, to be honest. He's super young, and like I said, he gets better and better each and every year. I love Sabonis. I think he's the Pacers' best best hope at having a superstar going forward. But we'll see what, what they choose when it comes to the two centers if they make any moves at all. Love to know your guys' thoughts on Sabonis. You can always give us your thoughts at Pacers on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at FreedomAdam5. As always, we bring this podcast five days a week. I believe tomorrow I'll have a podcast breaking down the Sabonis pairing and going diving even more into my thoughts on each player, maybe make a case for each one and then kind of come to a conclusion on, on that. And then Tony will have a season review of Goga, Goga to end this week, as we did all three centers this week. It's kind of our centers week on Locked on Pacers podcast. That is all for today's podcast, and we will see you guys again tomorrow. <laughs>